Welcome to the Youth Voices Connect podcast, an inspiring new platform for young people by young people because your voice matters. Discuss, debate and share your views, your ideas and your perspectives on the things that matter most to you. So obviously the purpose of today was just to follow on from the conversation that we had with you where you're speaking to the community. The idea of today is really for you to hear young people's voices but then also for them to actually understand what you do because I think one of the things that I raised was I think the 100 Conversations is a brilliant initiative, but as we all know, many young people would not be willing to speak to what they consider to be the police by themselves. So that's the purpose of today. So I am going to hand you over to the young people themselves so that they can find out more about you and what you do and what they would like to know as young people from Bedford. Vanessa, that's absolutely fine. I'll ask any question I possibly can. Brilliant. So who's, who's, who's going first? Like, what do you have to do as a crime commissioner? As police and crime commissioner, well, there are a whole number of things. First of all, the important thing to know is that I am not the police. I'm elected right the way across the whole of Bedfordshire to hold the police, hold the chief constable to account, make sure he's doing his job properly and make sure that the police are doing their jobs as they should do. So that is my primary job and I'm elected into the role and that's for four years. Well, it was supposed to be for four years. felt that I had taken things as far as I could in, in terms of winning extra money from government. I really wanted to keep the focus on Bedfordshire and for them to realise that I was unhappy about that and that we needed more more money and more police officers here. One of the other things I do is I receive £1.6 million in funding to um, improve community safety and to particularly support all victims of crime. So, for example, among the things that I've introduced as PCC over the last four years, I've, bought, I've created a whole victim support service for anyone who's affected by crime, not just a victim, but it could be a parent, could be a child, could be a friend or a partner. And we aim to get in contact with a victim of crime within 24 hours of it being recorded by police, above the cheer police. So there are all the support services available through this organisation, which is called Signpost. And another thing I've done is I've set up something called Direction for Bedfordshire. Both of these services, by the way, are back with um, websites with all the online services. But Direction for Bedfordshire is for ex-offenders. It's for people coming out of HMP Bedford, that's Bedford Prison, and those who want to change their lives around and go straight. And I've put it together with ex-prisoners so I put it together with some ex-lifers and I wanted to make sure that it was providing information that the prisoners themselves felt they would need on the outside. And so the sort of things they asked for were same-day benefits and employment advice in job centres. So I organised that with the job centres. They asked for details about accommodation. They wanted to know about health and wellbeing services and particularly drug and alcohol rehabilitation and very interestingly they wanted family rehabilitation um, services arbitration so that those who'd lost contact with their kids or their partners or their parents while they were inside had someone who could intervene and help do that so that's all the grant funding side of my work so on the one hand holding the chief constable to account speaking to him every couple of days and having a big strategic governance meeting with him once a month where we drill down into how Bedfordshire Police is performing across the board, including 
a race and diversity section because I've been absolutely determined as PCC that we have police officers who look and sound like our actual communities. So in that four years, we've come to a point where we, we were second, we are just third in the entire country of all 43 police forces in the numbers of Bain, black minority ethnic police officers that we have in Bedfordshire. And that's been hard won. It's been about winning trust and confidence with various communities and obviously with people who've applied to join us. But we uh, we were second only to the Met, and that's amazing because we've only got 1,300 officers, or slightly under. Did you say that there's um there's more there's more black and black well black what did you call it? Black and minority ethnic. What black and minority ethnic officers in Bedfordshire? Please. They have the most amount of. Is yeah. it? Because I haven't seen much. Can't lie. I don't think I've ever seen them. I don't know. It's what we have right now and are increasing. So, right now, we're the third in the country. We have 11% of our police officers are black and minority ethnic. Oh. But where you are, yeah. the vast majority of our officers from diverse backgrounds, the vast majority of them are in Luton and Bedford, not exclusively, but the reasons for that are in Luton and Bedford, there are 142 languages that are spoken and we've got the most diverse communities in our whole county. It's my aim to make sure that wherever you live in the county, you see black and Asian faces on duty in Bedfordshire, as Bedfordshire police officers. Do you think that will make us feel, uh, like, us as black, mixed and Asian people feel more comfortable to speak to a police officer? Because I would say, if I saw um, a black police officer and he was, like, stopping and searching, like, um, I think Uh he, personally, I think he would get, like, violated in a way. But would that, do do you think, as the PCC, that would make us feel more comfortable? Well, I think that it should give you more confidence instead of it being a white police force policing diverse communities, that it's a police force that looks and sounds like the diverse communities as well. And I have to say that that hasn't been the experience of our officers on duty. Mm. The, we have more officers from the Asian communities who come forward and want to join us than the Afro-Caribbean communities at the moment. doesn't mean to say that we haven't got Afro-Caribbean officers. We certainly have. Mm. And we try to make sure that we promote through the system as well. So, for example, our um, third in command at the moment has just been promoted, and he's an Asian officer called Shan Shan Basra. I fully appreciate that you're not Asian. You're from uh, uh, the Afro-Caribbean community yourself. Mm. But our aspiration is that every single community in Bedfordshire needs to be represented. And, you know, the 100 conversations that I've been doing, the sort of conversation I had with you and with Sky before, has produced an idea which is being looked into by the Foreign Office at the moment. Mm. Because a a number of people said to me, you know, what I really dislike is that we think that that the police look at the black community and they see us all as one black community. They think we're all Jamaican. (laughs) <laughs> I that. And honestly, I think that there's probably something in that. And they said, a, a lot of people have said to me, well, even though we're black British, we were born here. And in fact, for most of us, our mums and dads were born here as well. The fact is that we have heritage in different Caribbean islands. We have heritage in different African nations. 
And we need the police to understand about our background and they need to understand that we're not all linked to Jamaican heritage. We're certainly not linked to any sort of idea of Yardie-type crime which emanated from Jamaica in the 70s and 80s. And um, the Foreign Office is looking at setting up a an exchange scheme to bring police officers for me from the African nations and from the Afro-Caribbean nations to work in Bedfordshire. Is that another thing to tackle, like unemployment as well? Are there courses for young people, teenagers and young adults to actually um, see if they can have like an opportunity in in the police force and doing something? Like... That's a really good question. That is a really good question. So the, what I would say to you is that in the past, there's been enough recruits that, that they haven't had to run a course like that to prepare them. We have, in Bedfordshire, to reach out to our black and minority ethnic communities, we've run specific recruitment events. And I'll tell you how this works for us. How it works for us is that we, in order to try to boost our diversity, we try to reach the number of recruits that we need from our black and minority ethnic applicants. And if we can't from that applicant group, then we go wider than that. So um, we've been bending over backwards for four years to do that. But why you're asking such a, so much the right question right now is that you've, you've probably seen that the government have, has promised to create 20,000 extra police officers. Well, in order to get across every police force, every one of the 43 police forces, well, in order to get that 20,000 and all the police officers replaced who leave each year because they come to the end of their 30-year career, and to get enough that those who don't make it through the vetting process, which is very tight, I'll talk to you if you like about that in a moment, but through the vetting process, in order to get that number, we know that we are going to need, in the next two years, to get 500,000 applicants to join policing. You're suggesting to me something which makes sense, which is if you want to get 500,000 people to apply to join policing, you, you might want to start running training for... Yeah, certainly the late teens and early 20s. Racial profiling is a real thing that is major right now, mm. so don't you feel like, like stopping, stopping searching like people of colour like more than white people, I guess, is going to prevent them from wanting to become a police officer? Yeah, you, you have put your finger on the main issue around stop and search. So there are a number of things around stop and search. First of all, um, as Sky and Max know, because we've talked about this, we have a stop and search scrutiny panel in Bedfordshire, and that is run by an Afro-Caribbean youth leader, and it has representatives of all our communities, and in fact, a very large number of the stop and search scrutiny panel are Afro-Caribbean or mixed. And can I, can I, sorry, can I just ask a question there? Because um, I, I know what the <coughs> stop and search, well, well, I believe I understand what the stop and search scrutiny panel is, but could you just explain to um, the guys here what that actually is so that they understand it and also um, any age restrictions on being on that panel as well, if you could, please. Absolutely. So I believe that the age restriction is 18, but after speaking to Max and Sky, I've asked the uh, force if they would set up a youth panel so that we can have younger people who are involved. So the Stop and Search Scrutiny panel, they dip sample the body-worn video of police officers in Bedfordshire who are carrying out stop and search. So they see them doing it for themselves. And the panel rate it, just like a traffic light system, red 
amber and green. Because when an officer carries out stop and search, they have to do a variety of things. They have to cover all of, every one of these letters stands for something they have to include. Go wisely. It has to include, for example, them telling the person who they are, why they're stopping them, what they believe they may be carrying, and they have to have a belief that they're carrying something in particular at that time, whether it's drugs, a knife, a gun. They have to have a genuine belief that they are carrying that. They can't just be in a particular area or driving a particular car, and they most certainly cannot just be a particular colour. Uh, They have to say which police station they come from. They have to give a record of the stop and search to the person they're stopping and searching so that they've got a record of it. Um, So they have to go through all these things. And the stop and search scrutiny panel, first of all, make sure that they've done all that. Did they do it properly? Did they include everything the law says they have to include? But they'll also look at what was their manner? What was the way that they dealt with the person? Were they polite? Were they respectful? Were they overbearing? I've heard, as you know from this group, their experiences in the past of feeling that the word used was forceful. I remember that the police were very forceful in a position. They should just be respectful and polite and explain exactly what they're looking for and why and give you a record of it. So stop search scrutiny panel will say, yes, that was a perfect search. They did everything that they should in terms of what they said. And they were polite and respectful and ideally built up a rapport with the person they were searching, a bit of a relationship with them. Didn't make them feel that it was overbearing, but took, took the heat out of it rather than put heat into the situation. An amber one is maybe they forgot to say one of the things that go wisely. That's not allowed. So they, that would go back to them as something disciplinary. Or they didn't like the way they, they, their tone. I mean, for example, I've seen a couple, particularly with young people, where officers have thought that by swearing that it was putting them on a level, it was a sort of, you know, not swearing at them, but swearing in the course of talking. And the Stop and Search scrutiny panel did not like it at all. They said it was very patronising to the people who were being stopped and searched. And also, of course, it's not a great example for Bedfordshire Police. And so that would be an amber. A red would be if they felt either that they had got it completely wrong in terms of everything they needed to repeat by law and they did not approve of the way in which the stop and search is done. And remember, this is members of the public just bit sampling, just choosing at random from stop and searches for the panel. Police have nothing to do with it. My office don't. It's not a set-up. We don't choose all the best ones. And we have, we have young people in their 20s there. I mean, one of the guys who's been part of the 100 Conversations he is a regular part of Stop and Search Scrutiny. And he'd said, but he joined, he's 26, and he'd said, oh, when I joined, I really thought that what I was going to see is dreadful Stop and Searches. And I didn't. And he said, I've been to about eight panels now, and I haven't seen one that's red. And I was thinking, is this a setup? Are they just choosing good ones? And the answer is, no, they weren't. And obviously, that's very reassuring for me in terms of the way it's being done. But you also talked about racial profiling. And I... I am absolutely horrified by the idea that in 2021, somebody could be being stopped somewhere by police, wherever in this country, because of their colour. And you might have seen a case just over the weekend, the Metropolitan Chief Inspector, he's a black Chief Inspector, and he was stopped in his car. And he complained against his own police force because he said, 
They had no reason to stop me. They had to have a reason in law. They have to know to suggest that I was carrying something and they were looking for something in particular. And he said, I suspect it was because I was driving a nice car. And that is not acceptable. Not acceptable at all. And so it's that sort of thing that in Bedfordshire, my chief constable, who's in fact the head for race and diversity in policing, that there is no place for racism anywhere or racial profiling anywhere in policing. But we would both say this to you as well. That the whole idea behind policing, the original founding father of policing, said a very important thing. He said the police are the public and the public are the police. So the police should be like the public and the public are like the police. But that means... If there's racism out there in the public, in some shadowy corners, there will be individuals who are racist in policing. They will not be the majority. They most certainly won't be the majority in Bedfordshire. But it's my job to make sure that the chief constable weeds them out because they have no place wearing a police uniform in this particular county or anywhere. Catherine, can I just say, because obviously in terms of a, a young person's view, so... I understand what you're saying and that, you know, there's racism everywhere. That, obviously, everybody does have personal experience, which you want to share. Yeah, so um, I was walking home from school one day. Well, I was 14 years old at the time and I was walking uh-huh. home from school with my friend and uh, uh-huh. we did get stopped and searched and they was looking for weapons. But, like, uh-huh. we was in our, like, school uniform and they said to me that they was going to um, send my mum a message or something like that, like a receipt or something. But right, I, yeah, that's the, yeah, the record of what yeah. you're being stopped and searched. Yeah, but yeah. they never, ever got round to doing that. Right, OK. And they took that, presumably they'd have taken your address from you yeah, or an email address? address and my mum's phone number. Right, OK. Well, first of all, they absolutely should have done. They absolutely should have done and sent sent a record to your mother. Yeah. And if she hadn't received it, and they should have told you where they were from, did they tell you which police station they came from? Probably at the time, but I don't remember. Right, OK. So had they said they, who they were from and your parents hadn't received um, a notice, it's exactly what I said, they have, to, they have to provide you with notice of the fact that they've done a stop search, then your mother would have been absolutely within her rights to get in touch with the police station and say, why not? And to raise a complaint about it as well. To say that wasn't a proper stop and search. Um, you had been promised that you would be given a record and you weren't and it hadn't been sent to your home. So the first thing is that that already broke the rules. The second thing is, even though in stop and search, officers aren't required in the law to ask how old you are, I think they should. And I've been discussing this with my chief constable as a result of the conversation with Sky. And she got stopped and searched when she was out with people when she was in her early uh, teens, exactly like you, 14, about 14. And to me, um, I then spoke to the guy who runs our stop and search scrutiny panel. And he said, I think police not only should ask for the age of the person they stop and search, but they need to take that age into account. In other words, the way in which they stop and search you has to be along the lines of understanding that you are a very young person and that this is, let's face it, I mean, you're you're a big guy now and all the rest of it, but at 14, anybody, male or female, white or black, if they're stopped at 14 by the police to be stopped and searched, that is an uncomfortable experience. So... I can only, I can, did they stop, were you with friends who were also black, white, whatever, yeah, did they stop everybody? Yeah, I was everybody? With, um, an Asian person and a uh, mixed race. 
fine. Did they search everybody? Yeah, all three of us. Right. Well, uh, all I would say is at least that shows that it was equal, whoever was there. Um, the reason that we have been stopping and searching a lot of people in their early teens in the last couple of years, as you will know, there has been an explosion in knife carrying in Bedfordshire and everywhere, an absolute explosion. It's why, does your, has your school ever had a knife arch or any of the um, mm. Bedfordshire police or anybody else come in to talk to everyone? Okay. Well, that is, about, um, yeah. Can I ask a question? Can I? Oh, oh, I was meant to ask a question. Like, oh, go, go ahead. Um, so, like, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the red, amber, green scheme. Yeah. Um, do you remember last time we had a conversation, we were talking about how um, introducing that into schools, exactly. um, like showing young people what they should expect from a stop and search and know their rights yeah. and um, what they should receive. Do you still believe in that? Do you think that's still a good thing? I absolutely believe in it. And I've talked to my chief constable about it. And we're going to talk to the local authorities. Because you all have PHSE classes, don't you, at school? So PHSE is a time when I can get various training into school. So have any of you, for example, seen the County Lines um, play that went through schools last year Um, around County Lines? What was that? Uh, It was around... if you'd seen it in school or colleges, it was about the guy who recruited a boy and a girl to try to get them to carry drugs. And oh, yeah, 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 I do remember him. that. Yeah? <laughs> I remember that. Okay, so, so I paid for that. It was, that it came was from me. Oh, and they, did, did you have that play in school when there was that man that tried to get this, this couple to, like, carry stuff for them? No, I didn't see oh, that. So yeah, you, I think so it was... You've not seen it, you've seen it, you haven't seen it, Max. So just, Sky, can you just let... Yeah, um, Catherine, what, no, what you thought of that? I think it was quite good. It was educational. It, it lets you see what signs you to look for and like um, what situations to avoid and like what people to avoid. Yeah. I think they should do stuff like that more often, more sort of different subjects to do yeah. with that, and maybe but, do it more often because that was actually really good. Thank you, because they are proper actors. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I've got a horror, complete horror of theatre and education, which generally is where bad actors go who can't get an acting job. Yeah. So instead, I went to that group who are. So first of all, they're they're absolutely passionate about what they do, and the message they were trying to get across there was absolutely true. If you saw that, you'll remember that the guy who was trying to get them into carrying things for him he was straightforward county lines runner and he'd given he wanted he, he was hanging around where young people go this is exactly how they recruit they hang around outside mcdonald's they hang around outside top shop and river island and so on and if they heard somebody just as they did in that play heard somebody say oh i'd really love that person okay. can't afford it or like those trainers tell me that i need to understand because these, these guys found that funny so just just sh- share your experience man chilling outside oh yeah no people do on the, on the on the main street what beak outside river island yeah no, no, no. No, that's cat. I can't. We're going to JD or something. Yeah, not, not so just to explain to Catherine what you're what you're actually saying in terms of your experience of what she what she said. I think that we were laughing. When I say we we were laughing at the comment around in terms of the places that people are hanging out. So if you just want oh, to clarify, yeah. clarify. The only, plus like they have we get stop and search on the streets, yeah. But really, for yeah. like children, there's only the only place for them to go is the streets. There's like no real yeah. youth centres and stuff. Like, there's no funding for children. And, like, the only real youth centre thing I can really think of is, like, football, like, um, programmes and stuff in the summer holidays. (laughs) But that's literally for, like, sporty people. So, like, say you're not, like, athletic, you don't Uh attend them 
centres. Yeah. Like yeah. I, 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 I absolutely feel for you because my generation, when I was at school, I was at state school, when I was at school, there were a whole host of after-school activities. So one of the things I did, I used to act. I did school drama. It got me into the National Youth Theatre because I used to act at school because I wasn't sporty at all. I didn't want to do any of the sports activities, but they were there as well. I remember I used to do pottery at one stage, unbelievably, but it was available after school. And cuts across the whole of education, across the whole of the local authorities, have meant that a lot of the the club, the extracurricular um, activities after school have very largely gone, all the teams that used to run, all the drama clubs and so on, and also used to be youth clubs. They haven't gone everywhere. So, for example, in Shefford, relatively close to where you're probably speaking to me now, the um, mayor and the town council in Shefford feel really strongly that you have to provide young people with a place to go. And they've created a youth, youth centre, and I, I help them with the money for it. It's, it's just off a sort of park and play area. But they also run youth counselling, youth mentoring, helping to advise people when they're coming to the end of school about how to get a job, all that sort of thing. Catherine? They run that, yeah. Sorry, just... I know that you've explained what the PCC does, but yeah. a lot of um, people in the community, and particularly young people, aren't necessarily aware of the funding that you do actually put in to try to try and prevent crime, and then also for for young people right. particularly. So obviously, right. you you fund a, a number of projects um, in Bedford, youth youth yeah. voices, youth voices being one of them. So can you talk about the money and investments? Because what was your question actually? Um, like, what are you planning on? doing to lower knife crime rates in Bedford? Right, okay. So, around knife crime and gangs, guns and knife crime as a whole, we've got um, I've got £880,000 out of government um, last year, um, and they're going to give it to me this year as well. Um, and we, we distribute that money through community groups at grassroots level, like Youth Voices, um, and we work with young people. Now, all sorts of things. So, for example, there's an organisation called Boxing Saves Lives that works with me. And sport, I know that some one of you have said that you're not particularly sporty, but sport has been a traditional way out and up, out of social deprivation. Similarly, drama, you know, if you're an actor. Similarly, dance. Similarly, if you're a singer. So, the sort of activities, Boxing Saves Lives is one of them, where they go to, they, they work with kids in really tough areas. They've, they've been working for me for only since May on the projects. Um, but in order to get them into boxing and give people a direction in life. Because as you know, if you get excluded from school in particular, if you're excluded from school, and also if you're surrounded by people who are in gangs or trying to draw you into gangs or who's suggesting you should be knife carrying for your own protection, which is appalling because half of the murders that happen happen with people's own weapons. Half of them are killed with their own weapons. Um, so all sorts of activities, like Boxing Saves Lives, we do activities with parents who you know, need to, to understand how to work with their own teenagers. And the work that we've been doing through the VERU, the Violence Exploitation Reduction Unit, puts together not just police, but it puts together community leaders, youth offending, people who are working with young people who are safeguarding them if they're in really tough family circumstances. And it's working. 
because knife crime went down by 9% in the year that we've been running. And that, that means there are 200 young people in Bedfordshire now who are still alive or living without life-changing injuries. I'm on a website called Luton today and it said knife crime in Bedfordshire skyrockets by 57%, the biggest rise in the country. Knife crime in Bedfordshire skyrockets by 57% in just 12 months and was the biggest rise for any force in the country. Accordingly to new published statistics, this is Monday, when was this? This, when Monday, was this? this Monday the 21st of October 2019. Right, that's right. That's right, and that's what allowed me to get the money out of the government for the Violence Exploitation Reduction Unit. So, nice crime injuries to hospital have now plateaued. 200 kids are still alive or without injuries, partly, uh, partly because of enforcement. You know, there are some individuals who, are, you, know, that, you know, are at the absolute sharp end of criminality, who absolutely are out there carrying and using knives and guns every day in Bedfordshire. So the enforcement side of it at Bedfordshire Police, there's a specialist unit around gangs, guns and knives called Boson, that you may have heard of. Boson have achieved 500 years of prison terms in two years to get on top of a really violent crime gang problem. But you can't arrest your way out of knife carrying. You know that. You can't arrest your way out of people wanting to be drawn into or being recruited into gangs. The only way you can do that is work with communities and young people themselves. So alongside all that enforcement has been the Violence Exploitation Reduction Unit. So I can tell you that knife crime is down. Knife crime injuries have plateaued. They are not going up. And as I said, there are 200 less who are injured or dead this year than last year. And why that's so important, the injured or dead part, if you've ever heard of bagging, David Kirby is the, um, the accident and emergency medicine specialist at Luton Dunstable Hospital. So he is at the literal short end of dealing with victims of knife crime. He's actually working with the Vero, he's working with me, going into schools, talking about, you know, being there on a pavement, trying to put 15 pints of blood through someone, holding, their ha holding a 15-year-old's heart in his hand and trying to pump that heart with his hand to try and keep the kid alive. And he tells me that um, those who are, who are really hardened criminals within really organised crime gangs who try to recruit the younger ones in, they are wanting not to put a knife into someone just anywhere, which could put them inside prison for life for murder. They're trying to do something called bagging. They're trying to specifically stick them in the colon so that they'll be in a colostomy bag for the rest of their life, pulling into a bag out of the side of their body for the rest of their lives. And that would get them a wounding charge, possibly manslaughter, so they would serve less time in prison. Basically. That is that's how that's those terrible. people are thinking. Basically, yeah. basically, you mentioned gangs. And, like, yeah. say we can um, prevent people from joining gangs and getting people out of gangs, we have to realise that even if you've joined that, you still can't go to certain areas. So, like, yeah. say you're yeah. from one place, you can't go to the other place. So we need to have youth centres and places to f to go in, like, every uh, area because uh -huh. they're also risking their lives just travelling to go to the but, place of safety. Yeah, and, and isn't that appalling that it's about postcodes? There, there is no real way of keeping people out of gangs because I would say 
the way the government is is I wouldn't say corrupt, but it's 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 tapped in a way that um let me go back to these statistics. It says nine percent of black people are unemployed. That is ninety one thousand nine hundred people, right? The of black people that are unemployed. Now this is from I think twenty nineteen as well. And these I would I would think are in like more poor areas in London and in Essex and other other places. And and keeping people out of gangs is because firstly not most of them will come from a background where they where their parents would have to struggle and they might they might have a single uh, might have a single mum and their mum not might not be able to work or they might be an immigrant and again racial profiling by by the employers saying that oh you're african or you're or you're or you're french or you're this or you're that you can't work here because you're accent you can't work here because of the way you look you might be intimidating to other people now personally if i was living in an estate my mum was on benefits what like a two bedroom flat I had uh, my younger my younger brothers, my two younger brothers with me, and we were all crowded in there. Personally, I I would see no other re no uh, no no oh. other escape. So what the government needs to do is firstly they need to tackle unemployment for in in mm-hmm. if, if ethnic backgrounds because that is what is is keeping black Asian white people not just black and white and not not just black and Asian. Also, white people. That's what's keeping us in gangs. That's what's keeping us, like, in that same toxic mind frame. Mm. You and I know that some of the guys who are running drugs in Bedfordshire, in their teens, will be pocketing between five and eight hundred pounds a week from doing that. Yeah. Hold on. A week. Exactly. And and. And when they are first recruited, you know, just as we were saying about them hanging around outside McDonald's and outside River Island and all the rest of it, when they're recruited, it starts with offering them free stuff, free trainers, free mobile phones, free gear. And, you know, and one of the things that I always say is if somebody offers you something like that that's free, it's you who's for sale. So why are they wanting, why are they paying so much to these young people to be running the drugs and running the guns and running the weapons between different members of the gang. Why? Because it because does, they, makes them more money yeah. as well. Yeah, I can't them, lie. Yeah. Yes, and yes. they don't take the risk. The I, young people take the risk. They don't go to why? prison. They're not the ones who end up in court because mm. they're not there. And, it, and for whoever saw that play, that's based on absolutely true stories around Bedfordshire. So how they work it, and you may well have heard this yourself, how they work it is, after a little while, they get one of you to carry a lot of money or... Uh, get a several guns or whatever, but usually a lot of money or a lot of drugs. And then they get jumped and the money or drugs are stolen. And then they say, well, I am now in debt. You are in my debt because I'm now in debt for that money to an organised crime gang. I'm now in debt for those drugs. But usually they've set up the robbery themselves. And they've set the Mm. robbery up so the young person caught in the middle is then not earning all that money He's now taking, he or she is now taking all those risks very often for free because they're now terrorised. There are, there are people that are doing running, run, do you know what throwovers are? It's basically where you so throw first, like drugs or money over at the prison. Over into the prison? Yeah. So throwovers. Oh, well, well, can I say, we've, 
we snuffed so we stuffed the throwovers at bed to prison out to such an extent that they're making their own drugs out of the cleaning products. And when people oh, are making their own us. drugs out of the cleaning <laughs> products, so you know, it's not getting in. Um, so, so people, the, the runners don't get paid for what? Oh, 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 yeah. It's really quiet. Yeah. Oh, the runners don't get paid for that. They're not all of them though, but some, most of them do. But if if someone if people were to recruit like other people for gangs, younger people, it's because they're vulnerable. Mm. It's because yeah. they haven't they haven't been taught any better or they or they've seen things on TV that generalize it. Like um yeah. like I can't like I, I don't want to say it's about Top Boy because I love Top Boy man. I love these stories. Yeah, I don't want to but it's good though, it's just I know. real. Yeah, it's it's real, but it's it's things like that. Kids watch it and like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to start moving crap. Nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's always a bad ending, so there's always a bad outcome. But yeah, like the guy yeah, that got the, yeah. in the truck. Yeah, there is. Well, <laughs> the thing is, they, you know, they, the ones who get involved and they make money, they do for a while. But then, by and large, they either get very badly injured or they end up inside. They reach a point... We've just had, throughout the whole of this summer... There has been, you'll, have, you'll no doubt have heard this whole thing around EncroChat, the encrypted mobile phones that the National Crime Agency yeah, broke the no, code. We haven't heard of it, Capo. So it's like Oh, right, OK. So yeah. this summer, um, the National Crime Agency broke the code to get into encrypted phones, a, a form of phone called EncroChat, which a huge number of drug dealers and weapons dealers use. And we have, all, and, and out of around... Uh, over, around over 300 operations around the country, around 300 organised crime gangs around the country were busted through it, of which more than 100 were in Luton alone. So we know that Bedfordshire is a centre for supply and organised crime, but they have been picking people up left, right and centre. So this, this in this last eight weeks, we've picked up 60 kilograms of Class A and B drugs oh in Bedfordshire. Oh, sorry, I'm all done. Thousands of thousands of reps. Six, six guns, six working guns, and reps. And you know about the terrible thing about it. The thing is, what you're pointing to as well is these people are business people. They're business people who exploit young people because they think, right, well, I'm not going to be out on the street on the street carrying X, Y, and Z. I'd rather have a young person get caught. It'll be down to them. It's not going to be down to me. It's not going to be traced back to me. Um, so. They use young people to do their dirty work for them and to take all the consequences through the courts as well. And very often in terms of injuries, as you know, gang on gang violence. This is a violent, violent business, and including around cannabis. So one of the things which really annoys me is that people think that cannabis is a victimless crime. If by any chance you have time, when you, on, on all four, 24 hours in police custody is us. So one of the 24 hours in police custody films is called Murder in the Woods. Take a look at that. That's a young, very young man in his early 20s who was dealing cannabis and making a shed load of money. And he was murdered. And it, 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 take a look at how it, it, he was casu really casually murdered by two of the others. And you see how they put that murder together. And they couldn't care less about him. It was just, and that was that was dealing class B. That was dealing cannabis. It wasn't dealing crack cocaine. It wasn't dealing heroin. And people think that they people think that the cannabis dealing is less violent. They are absolutely wrong. It is murderously violent. And right at the moment, after lockdown, you know, they want their markets back. They want their territories back. 
They want their addicts back so they can regularly fly. They're out there fighting one another now for territory. Now they can get back out onto the street. Um, But what what they most want is you. They want clean skin. You've no doubt heard that phrase. They want people who haven't got a criminal record. They love you. They don't care if you get one, but they love you. They want clean skins they can use who the police haven't picked up in the past. New people joining gangs are going to increase massively, especially after lockdown, because because of corona, people have lost uh-huh. their, like a lot of people have lost their jobs. So that means the only yeah. way they can basically put food in the, uh, the plate is to make illegal money. And seeing people in nice clothes, money, nice shoes, nice cars, it draws you in, and like it's you're you're obviously vulnerable, and like there is going to be a um, increase in that. So like, what are your plans to prevent? that from happening, like, is there going right. to be, like... Well, well, first, I would love to tell you that I had a magic wand and I could sol- solve the whole of society's problems. I can't, which is why it comes down to choices as well. Yes, if you... Yes, I have absolutely known circumstances in my life where I haven't had enough money to pay for food. I haven't had enough money to pay enough food. And I certainly haven't had the money to buy nice clothes and nice shoes or any of the things that my friends have had at times in my life. But at no time did I nick it. At yeah. no time, because I, because it's not worth. That is not worth it. It was better for me to go without things I would have liked to have had. Then one thing is for certain: once you have a criminal record, the feeling, or you've been to prison, if you thought your life was hard before, your life and your life chances after that have just plummeted, absolutely plummeted, and. It's why it's why the choices you make. Every, you know, everybody always says, "Don't they? Choices have consequences." They do. They really do. And what can seem like easy money, they wouldn't be paying that money if it were not having reason. They have a reason, and their reason is to keep themselves safe. You are the ones who are for sale, not them. You're for sale. They're buying you. They're buying. They're buying potentially your whole life chances. And, you know, I just don't set out just to shop for the sake of it, but to say things which are true. Tonight, not half an hour away from where you are speaking to me now, not half an hour away, there will be young people who will be being sent out onto the streets of Bedford carrying perhaps 100, 120 wraps of heroin and crack cocaine. And they'll be carrying them internally and they won't have swallowed them. They'll have them forcibly inserted into their back passages to carry them. Putting up there. Yeah. Yeah, the way they see that, though, is they're like, police are trying to take their freedom, so they'll do anything but to... But they can't. So just to clarify, in that, into their stomachs, yeah. but forcibly forced up your... your, your no, forcibly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, how they, that's how they get them to carry them, because they're particularly into areas where they know that there are a lot of police because they don't want anything to be visible. And if they're stopped and searched, they don't want it to come out of pocket. So I'd like you to try to think about stop and search differently as well. In terms of disproportionality, there are disproportionately large number of young, black, Asian and mixed kids who die or get injured. So stop and search is as much about trying to stop somebody sticking a blade in you as it is and keeping you safe, as it is and it's not just to criminalise people who are carrying. It's about trying to stop it as much as they possibly can. And they don't just go into areas without any intelligence either. 
having crime intelligence information. So they, if they're going to have a patrol around stop and search, we've got these things called Opsparkler patrols, and they, they gather together all the information, all the crime intelligence, so they know exactly which area they're going to be likely to find more people with knives and guns in. It is, it is about trying to keep people safe. It's not just about trying to put people away. But see, Catherine, I, I obviously completely understand that, but in terms of um, when these things do happen, um, sometimes they're sensationalised and, you know, like good news, bad news travels fast. But it may not be helpful to, to actually understand that the reason that this is happening, particularly in this area, is because there is an increase in crime, so that the whole community yeah. is aware, rather than just hearing... You know, if, if if that's the case, those figures are going to be yeah. available that we can see. Well, actually, there are a lot of incidents in this area, and then yeah. it actually then comes back to the community to actually. I think the best way to find out about what young people think about policing and stuff like that is, um, I'd say definitely through schools because obviously they have to learn about it and have to do do stuff like that. And obviously Vanessa's a great source as well because she we've obviously got the podcast and um, <laughs> and she's friends with a lot of young people and obviously. It'd be good to have an Instagram and stuff like that as well, but some people might not go out of their way to, like, give feedback. I think... I have loved talking to you. Thank you very and much for, you. for today and uh, joining the Youth Voices Connect podcast today. And I guess just yeah. to say, um, how do we always end our podcast, guys? Stay connected. Stay, Stay connected. Stay connected. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed. It's Thank been a pleasure. You. I've got, you've got me here. They're trying to get through on the phone. Okay, so where the hell are you? Thank you. Thanks a lot for today. Take Thank care. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much. B